Welcome to Good Question, everybody. It's a show where today we're going to talk about, we don't know, whatever is on your mind. We are going to engage with you live to talk about the stuff that's bubbling up for you. And we're really thankful that you'll make us a, a part of that going forward. My name is Curtis Childs. I'll be your host. You can already see this is Caradam. You don't need look at I've been automated out of a job here. Caradam. We have Chris Dunn over there. Thanks to both of you so much for coming. With us also <laughs> is Karin Childs, who is a writer for the show. Hi, Karin. Hi, and hi online friends. Great to be here with you. What you probably already all saw and were freaking out about is that there are some new features today in our show. You're a part of the show like never before. Hey, hey, Beagle Mom, how are you? So great to have you in the chat. Thanks, everyone, for showing up. We'll let you have input in real time as it goes. <laughs> we'll see how that ends up. Hi, Will, how are you doing? And get your questions in if you haven't already. We are actually taking live questions from this very chat and answering them. Like and subscribe if you haven't already to our channel. That's just sort of basic support sort of stuff. Okay, I've talked for long enough without a question. Let's start the first question. The first one is, Popcorn and Peanuts asked, in heaven, are we assigned an angel to help explain our experiences there? Mm. So, there's a lot of confusing stuff going on. We're talking about transitioning out of consciousness. Our bodies have died, and according to Swedenborg and according to a lot of other people, you experience this, this brave new world that has some similarities, but a lot of differences, and could be something that you're relatively lost in. And you could read this question a couple of ways. One is your ex an angel is explaining your experiences in the afterlife. Like This is what's going on, just so you know. You saw this rose turn into a swan that turned silver and then it turned gold. This is what that means, which often Swedenborg would have that going with him. And, or we talk about our life experiences there, that we're finally going to get the why is life so mm. strange and painful <laughs> and confusing at times. Mm. So I'd love to hear both answers to that. Uh -huh. So. Does anybody uh, want to start that up? Chris. Yeah, I mean, I have, uh, I have some thoughts. Uh, where I'm kind of going, I have two little blips that I'm thinking about. One is that through our own state and just through the kind of process that happens after death and after we're kind of beginning our journey, uh, there are teams of different spirits and angels helping us understand our experiences and as we come into contact with different communities and travel around and learn about who we are um, through those experiences we get a sense of if we belong with those people if we need to continue traveling on to meet other communities so I don't know if it's necessarily a single angel at, uh, to say that throughout the whole thing but certainly uh, there are tons of people kind of helping you navigate forward and um, helping you discover where you uh, will eventually find eternal uh, fulfillment, wherever that might be. It doesn't sound so bad. I think about, can't you, it doesn't often feel like you're meandering through life and mm -hmm. it seems relatively arbitrary. Some people might like that freedom, but I would much rather say there's sort of a destiny or a place and I'm actually getting moved toward that. I thought it was I'm sure you have a sense of even more expansive freedom there, but to know that there's a meaningful steps forward and there's certainly a, a way to put them. Uh, I like it. I like it. So, Carl, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. yeah, I was just thinking that Swedenborg does talk a lot about education. I mean, um, it, after we arrive in the other world. And I, I think there's a lot of ways that that happens. Um, I don't think we're wandering around mystified. Everything happens according to use. Everything happens to... Um, 
just help us realize who we are, like mm-hmm. Chris said. Yeah. So I ha- I haven't particularly pictured it as like my buddy, you yeah. know, my my assigned person. But um, I'm sure there's lots of ways where the where the enlightenment comes to us through other people. So a customer service rep or something. Yeah. Like <laughs> Car- Karen, what do you think? Well, I'm thinking of, I, I think uh, there are stages that we need different angels. You know how when we first cross over, there's the most highest, lo- deepest loving angels. And then when we uh, stop needing them or if we uh, want to move on to a different stage, there's a different kind of angel. And I think that there's many different kinds of angels that are ready to serve in all sorts of different ways. And Swedenborg definitely says angels love to welcome people, help people and teach people. And so there would definitely be um, probably you kind of settle into a place that certain kinds of angels can talk to you best. You can relate to them. Like Curtis has mentioned on the show before Swedenborg talks about angels um, who you, who came from your background, you know, like, are familiar from their own background of life on earth with the particular religion you grew up in, or maybe continent you grew up in or something, some way that they can relate to you and therefore they can teach you um, very effectively. So I think, yeah, like Cara was saying, I I haven't um, seen it said to be sort of one angel, the whole process through, but it would change as you change, as you are ready for the next, kind of like you go through school, you have a certain teacher for a while, and then you're ready for a different teacher and then a different teacher. And one more thing I'll say, I was researching uh, today for a show and um, I was enjoying a story that was telling me how, how much angels want to help and teach people, but also how much they just let people first be ready for what they have to teach. And this was newcomers who had just crossed over and they were just kind of getting a sense of that they were in the afterlife and, and the angels first asked them, so what did you, what did you think about life after death (laughs) or what do you believe about it? And they gave this wide range of um, answers. And then the angel said, well, do you realize that you are in the afterlife now and take a look, you have a body and everything. So they kind of led them gently along um, according to the person's readiness. So there's a big element of like, what are you ready for? And, and what uh, angel could be just, just the right one to speak to you in that state and be with you until you're ready for the next state. <laughs> yeah, and it's important to think about, when, when I think about the afterlife, I think of this foreign uh, thing that's sort of rendered in a different way. than the. But if, if, I, if you think about it as, think of all the people that you know who have died. And think about them being in some place and them still being themselves and you getting there and talking with them and, and thinking things through. To me, that brings it home. Oh, yeah. I go, oh, my, my grandfather or something mm-hmm. like that. Oh, right. Okay. So you talk with them and they live somewhere. It just, it, it, I got triggered into thinking about that when it, it was being described that, you know, maybe you have people from the same continent as you. Because a lot of the people, especially in the world of spirits, didn't die that long ago. Like they, they, they're sort of like you, but maybe there's a few years farther. So it's not like here's this world that we live in, and then everything's so foreign there. This is mm. all the culture and everything that we have here is is there on the next step of its process. So there'd be probably more familiarity than we're mm. probably thinking of. And I feel like 
if we're reading the question that second way, then I might have just made up, but you know, Angel will help our, explain our experiences in the world there. Mm-hmm. I think about Swedenborg saying that divine providence is only visible when you look back on it. So there is this ability to look back, and when the time is right, to see why life has been like it is. And I think about, that most people probably think about, life here being so opaque and so so strange and so confusing at times, and we want to look back and say, why did that happen? And then it'll all be explained, and then we'll go forward. But I think it's probably that you're always experiencing these new things, and there's continual points of, now I finally get why everything was the way that it was. So there are probably these stops, multiple or eternal stops where you're able to look back. And I guess if you, let's say you had your life on earth as a segment, and then you had your first whatever in the afterlife as a segment, and only when you get to the third thing can you look back and see how those two were meant to be setting up for this third stage. There's probably this eternal explaining of, of what's going on, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. one moment being to the, uh, the egg to the next, right? Yep, good. <laughs> and, uh, Joy, thanks for plugging the like. We appreciate it. Everyone who hasn't, please like the show. Okay, thanks, Popcorn and Peanuts, for the question. Let's see what we can do next. This is from Jan. According to Swedenborg, what is God's purpose of sin on earth? Is there sin in heaven? Mm-hmm. So the pr- problem of evil, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like what, or or what's, what's it doing? If, if everything is about use and everything is about form and everything is about function, we got what, what's it doing on earth? What's sin? So let's define sin. How do you guys want mm. to define sin? Doing evil intentionally, right? Mm. Doing something what's evil intentionally. Oh, uh, I guess anything that's against God's plan. Yeah. Um, okay. What about this? When you guys answer the question, first say what you think sin means, and then then uh, what's it doing on earth, and is there is it doing anything in heaven? So, uh, you want to, Karin? Can we start with you this time since we uh, started with these guys last time? What, what do you think? Uh, is there, what's sin doing, what is sin, and is there sin in heaven? The sin trifecta. (laughs) I think from the question, um, maybe first thing I would want to make clear that Swinborg learned is is God did not create sin. He did not create sin to be a part of creation. Like that wasn't God's plan (laughs) to like make us and then have this thing sin that we have to deal with that when God created humanity, humanity was in order, in harmony with God in heaven, and things flowed very nicely, and there was no sin, there was no need for sin. And sin came into the picture when people um, took their, it was a very gradual process, but took their sense of autonomy, which was a gift from God, so that people can feel the happiness of being able to be in relationship with God and, and choose that you know, choose how to do that relationship and what to do with their loves and everything. So took that sense of autonomy and started to um, get caught up in more external things and more things that would divide them from others. And that just started to descend into more and more self-centeredness and us against them and um, selfishness. And so sin is self-centeredness is what I understand Swedenborg to be saying it's it's that sense of wanting everything to serve yourself instead of serve God's purposes of happiness for everybody. And so that is what sin is. It it became um, you know, it became the thing that was opposed to God's love, which is is um, mutual love between everybody. And so God did not. Uh, the, the, so 
there's not a purpose to sin in, in the sense that God put it there. But now that we do have sin that we need to get out of, um, God will bring good out of all the, the struggles we go through and the way our self-centeredness will kick up and mess in our lives. Um, the, the purpose there of going through those struggles is for us to recognize the destructiveness of self-centeredness and then choose to reject it and ch choose to uh, let God pull us out of it. And so maybe I should stop there and let you guys add some things because I've been oh. talking a long time. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that at all, except for that one of us just said like, oh, she said the thing I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. No, but that was she a great, that was a great summary. And it, mm. it got me thinking, uh, I started to write down like go, diving into the like what function does if, if we're saying sin if i'm going to be saying sin is people in is is evil right it is harm happening what's that doing on earth um the, i think the four things i've heard swedenborg say is what what is the function of it um one is uh evils have to be seen to be removed so uh, that could be in two ways and maybe some of this will repeat what you were saying, Karen, but I'll just go through it. Um, seen, be seen to be removed. Both, you have to, like, if, if you're going to be someone who regenerates and gets it out of yourself, you have to realize that it's in there and want to fight against it. And at times, the only way that that can happen is you lose your temper. I'll give mm -hmm. a mild example. You lose your temper, and then you realize, oh, this is in me. And if you, if, if you, it, you never recognize that it was in you and were willing to consciously turn yourself against it and fight against it that would have stayed in your soul swedenborg often compares it to an infected wound yeah that that causes that actually would be death spiritually for us if it didn't come out so it's vitally important that it comes out also on the grand scale of humanity i feel like when an atrocity happens i'm not saying it's not every bit of an atrocity for everybody that's going through it and i can't get in there and say oh it's okay or whatever i do know that when that happens, the whole human race reacts to that. Don't we constantly refer back to things like Holocaust and to say, look, at, look that is so evil. And now anything that might be attached to that, we know is evil, and that informs who we are going forward. And, and, and we can't see it as much, but there's definitely self-reflection the whole human race has to do. So that's the evil. That's the first one seen, seen and removed. Uh, I didn't actually have time to write them down, so we'll see if I remember them. But, but the second one is um, you have to know the contract. You have to be able to know what is good and what is evil. Swedenborg talks about conscience itself is being able to know the difference. And you, if you don't see what's that temptations do this in us when we go through these hard times in life, because you have to know what is not happy and what's not blessed in order to have an mm -hmm. actual perce exquisite perception of what happiness is, which allows you to do the heavenly state, um, then, oh, evil, then evil has to, and maybe I'll only get to three, but evil has to be consummated. Like, if you're not going to reform, you have to actually go and do it to, to really commit yourself to it and prepare yourself for hell. So even mm -hmm. for the evil, that's, what, okay, so those are three. Who cares what the fourth one was? <laughs> so that, that's a couple of thoughts on, on sin. Um, you guys have anything you want to add to that one before uh, we move on? Uh, yeah, I, the the one about it needs to be seen and to come out is what came to mind for me. And I just love the language in the old translation that Swedenborg says, that it needs to come out lest it fester within. Yeah. And I love that, lest it fester. Mm. So that, you know, just 
in order for it not to become poison in, in your whole system, it's got to come out to be seen, right. and so you can right. get rid of it. Is there sin in heaven? Oh, we didn't. No. Um, I, just yesterday in a, a sermon I was listening to, it was talking about um, lower angels thinking that they needed to go talk to the higher angels and tell them, you know, how they should be doing their job. And that was interesting to me. From Swedenborg, right? That's, yeah, that's yeah. So I wouldn't call that a sin, yeah. but I would also call it uh, somewhat, um, uh, you know, pride of self-intelligence sure. or, or something, you know, like, so they're, so we're not necessarily all perfect all the way in, because if we're improving for eternity, then that means there's some imperfectness that needs to be handled as we're um, on our spiritual journey. But that's not sin. I would say that there's probably not sin. Okay. And so sin being, what's your definition? My definition of sin is, um, yeah, anything that's against God and God's plan and anything that's... So the way that Karin referred to it as um, just self-centeredness, I mean, that's how that's what Swedenborg portrays as the opposite of love of God is yeah. uh, self-absorption, love Which, of self. I like us just giving because Hey everybody, most likely you can see us again. I can't see us on this little screen here though. Um, hi everyone, you're probably wondering what just happened. So are we, <laughs> but we fixed it, which is great. And so we're back now and we're gonna just act like nothing ever happened and we'll uh, keep taking your questions like it's no problem at all. What was happening when we when we signed out like We that? were talking about, sin, is there sin in heaven, right? Yes, That's and you uh, had just finished something. Okay, yeah. Chris. What's up with that? Is there, is there, what's the purpose of sin on earth? Is there sin in heaven? I guess we're kind of moved on to that. Yeah, it's like nothing ever happened. Thanks, oh, everybody. Here we go. <laughs> hey, there we go. Hey, and it uh, feels good to be back. Yeah. So, like, so when I think about sin, I think uh, putting your needs and yourself uh, far above and beyond anything else of anyone else. So, you are the number one, and anyone else should okay. fall underneath you. Even right. if, if you carry that logical sequence out, you are God. You know, so that sin, is. Right, I like that. You're seriously saying sin is a, a state of mind under which many deeds could fall, but it's the state of mind that sort of codifies them. Yep, yep. It's complete self domination of everything. Yeah, right. Um, and there is 
definitely none of that going on in heaven amongst the angels. But Swedenborg does say that angels go through different states um, where they feel and perceive closeness to the Lord based upon how uh, just the, the quality of love and faith that they're uh, kind of endowed with at the time. Uh, but as they have more of a sense of self throughout different changes of state, that makes them feel a perceived distance from the Lord. Yeah. So, But it, I don't think it ever gets to the point where angels become hellish. It just yes. is just a perception of closeness or somewhat less close mm-hmm. states to the Lord. That perceived distance is what causes spiritual night and day, spiritual summer and winter. But he does say, think of it, you know, you're, uh, as being like you're closer to the equator where there's the winter, but it's not winter, winter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Everyone, thanks so much for that. You may have noticed a couple of things. One, I don't think we have the chat in that little box down there anymore. Do you guys think so? That's the bad news. The good news is, wow, a great reminder to donate to us. <laughs> we got to fill that space with something. Might as well fill it with an important message about how you can support this program. If you're saying, why did your, why do you have technical problems? Because we need your help. <laughs> we need your help to Up fix keep it. Us high. All right, let's take the next question. Thanks, Jan. That was an awesome one. Peg E, I'd really like mm. to see an angel, but are there requirements to seeing one? Mm. Yep, donate to off the left side. <laughs> Kidding. Step one. Kidding. Bad taste. So why is it that we're si- we're sitting here saying angels are really real and they're everywhere and they're present and they're loving and this, they're representatives of this great reality? Why don't we see them, especially when we feel like we need? And why do some people say you you could you could go into any supermarket and if everybody was really being honest and you said who here has see, had some kind of spiritual experience where they saw something that they would you could call an angel? I bet you get you get like three, four people or, or more, depending on the size of the supermarket. <laughs> this stuff is way more common than you yeah. think, and, and being on the internet and talking to people is just making that more obvious to me. But uh, how do I get into that club? You know, I haven't seen one. I haven't seen one. Yeah. Well, so would it, are so are there requirements according to Swedenborg? And if so, what are they? Hmm. Well, let's. I mean, so. I think we'll get to the specific of this answer, but let's broaden that out for a second. And this is something that I thought was profound about Swedenborg's teachings. We are we are uh, uh, we are alive because of our connection to heaven. Yeah. And angels communicate with us constantly. I mean, there's there is uh, there is a dependence on us, and we depend on angels. Like that model is so tightly woven, but yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that. We, we, we see them physically all the time and all that jazz, but what it means is that the mode of communication is just a little different. Um, so if you want to know how everyone communicates with angels um, yeah. outside of sight, it's in thoughts and feelings. Every time you feel something move you that is loving or a stirring of, of desiring to help someone else in any way um, or, or search yourself to become a better person, those stirrings are directly from angels inciting that in you and you being receptive to it. So uh, while I'm not going to answer the sight of an angel part, I will say that that kind of stuff, angels communicating with you constantly, is for everyone. Yeah, that's great. That's well said. Yeah, so uh, requirements to seeing one. I, ha- I thought of one. Did you? Oh, okay, so, well, technically you have to have your spiritual eyes opened to see an angel. Swedenborg was very clear that there we have physical eyes and you have spiritual eyes and you can you generally although there are some exceptions have 
your consciousness hooked up to one of those two camera systems. And that for Swedenborg, when he started to see, seeing angels became nothing for him. He would see mm -hmm. them all the time, everywhere. And he would often refer to his awakening into that as when the Lord opened his spiritual eyes. Right. And uh, he doesn't lay out, as far as I know, any clear path of, if you're, good, if you're a good enough person, your spiritual eyes will open. There's mm -hmm. not necessarily uh, a, a causal relationship between those things. That it's really more of a mechanical question than an ethical question. So you, yeah. you, some people can see angels doesn't mean it's because they're more good than other people. Right. And if you can't see them, it doesn't mean you're less good. Thank than you. Other people. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have any other thoughts on that? Uh, my thought is that um, some people think of angels as some kind of separate race. So I'm just wanting to put in there that Swedenborg says that angels are just people. People that used to be on this earth, earth, and you know, got over their self-centeredness and f realized how to love God and love the neighbor, and that person is now an angel. Yes. And any time that you or I is in any kind of state of thinking of the neighbor and loving them and everything, then we are like in the heavenly mindset. So yeah. that kind of is an angel. So. Yeah. Like Chris said, that any time that anyone's in that kind of state, you're sort of, um, you know, making contact with angels mm. in that way because that's what it is. It's yeah. being loving. It's living from the truth, and it's loving other people. That's what an angel is. Don't discount the importance of that interaction, that it can seem like it's a lame kind of answer. I want to see an angel. Well, you feel you already feel good feelings. But to focus in on those and get a sense of this, the immediacy of this is actual you know, contact across the veil, that that can make that experience more potent. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I feel like uh, this is good revenge we're getting on Karin for the time when, <laughs> when she, she said some things we we're going to say, because I'm sure we're taking all the good stuff. Revenge is sweet. Here. Revenge yeah, yeah. is sweet. Um, but, oh, that, that um, what were you just saying? It really, really had me thinking of something I really wanted to say. Um, you say oh, oh, okay, this is it. Angels are just people. They're, and I want to expand that saying that because of the nature of the spiritual world, angels have been through a very particular process where you know, when you get to the world of spirits, by the time you leave either as an angel or a, some kind of evil spirit, you have undergone this own, almost centrifuge-like process where mm. if you mm. are going on the angelic path, all your negative stuff is made dormant or, or sucked down and out of operation so that yeah. it's not just like you, because you could think, but they're just like us. They're people that are in a just another step up. But they've really gone through some in intense graduate school. So by the time you get to be an angel, even though we can get there in the same amount of time, um, it's a really different consciousness mm. that you're in. There is a distinction. It's people, but there's this. That's part mm. of why you, you, when you meet an angel, you don't get the sense of like, oh yeah, but you could tell that they're struggling a little bit with control issues or something. Yeah. Like that, that why <laughs> Good there's point. such Good an. Point. I just want to because you know that and we know that, but to someone who's new to Swedenborg. So, Karin, did we did we leave you anything? <laughs> um, a, a couple things. Um, I, one thing I want to say is I totally understand the craving to see an angel. I would love that to happen myself. It has not, but. I like to keep in mind that earthly life is so short and it's some, um, 
you're gonna see angels when you cross over. And it, it seems like, oh, if only you could see them now. But what you all were saying about the main thing is to get your heart and mind in contact with angels through uh, the kind of life of pursuing love of the neighbor and resisting self-centeredness and things, because then you're gonna see angels a lot more um, easily and fully and everything when you cross over. <clears throat> and that is very real. Um, yeah, what Curtis was saying is seeing angels in this world is more of a, it's a like a, a mechanical switch that goes rather than a spiritual evolvement thing. Um, when people have had NDEs, often they have this, had this switch turned on afterwards and they'll see spiritual beings now <laughs> that they didn't used to, like psychic abilities or see angels and, um, and same with Swedenborg, he just, uh, uh the switch was flicked in his consciousness and now his spiritual sight was open. So it is not something that, you know, you, like you were saying, it's because now you're good enough or something. It's, it's just a different thing. It's a mechanics thing of being able to um, withdraw from that, um, the physical eyes camera to the spiritual eyes camera. And Swedenborg did not spell out, a way to do that and uh, some people do seem to be born with a propensity to that some people have it turned on after a spiritual experience um and some people seem to work a lot at meditation and and something opens up at some point but for me i like to just really get better and better at noticing the presence of angels through the feelings that would just drop into me just the other day i had was struggling with feeling some irritation for for someone, and then I just felt this just compassion is just drop into me, just this feeling of compassion drop into me towards them that really softened it. And I just thought, thank you. Like there's an angel, you know, bringing something from the Lord to me. And so that's very real. So I'd encourage you to just try to notice those kinds of things and you'll start to get this warm feeling of like, wow, I really got angels around. And nice. to add one thing to that, when you feel that, drop in that is your spiritual eyes seeing something angelic because Swedenborg asserts that understanding when you understand something it that is spiritual sight so compassion is an understanding of the actual needs and experience of them the nature of love why it's good so you understand that that's your spirit is looking at something like literally mm. looking at something that's giving you that if i understand the way swedenborg is describing it correctly mm. and we don't process because we're plugged in to the senses we don't process that visually but you are seeing it okay i don't know <laughs> that, but you are seeing it in a certain like very literally but you just don't necessarily get that piped into your visual brain center um, while your physical eyes are looking. Mm. So, but your spirit's already seeing those angels. Okay, so great. All right, so uh, Peggy says thank you for the answers. You're very welcome, Peggy. Okay, <laughs> let's take a look at. Wait, before we go to the next question, we're halfway through. Let's take a pause here, and just so you know, this kind of content, which I hope you're finding valuable, uh, depends on people like you supporting it and taking some time and some financial resources to give us the means to bring you this. And we're gonna show you a 30 second video about how you can help us make this possible and get it out to the world. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. 
As a nonprofit, we depend on donor support to enable us to continue creating high-quality programming. This season, we're featuring the opportunity to become a member of our community of sustaining supporters by signing up to give a monthly donation. If you've benefited from our content, please consider going to otlemonthly.causebox.com to join the central network of people in the world who make our work possible. Our sustaining supporters are the backbone of what we do at Off the Left Eye. Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every week around the globe. We couldn't do it without you. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. All right, thanks everyone for watching and thank you for everyone who has supported and made this all possible. Now, let's do another question. I think we got time. Okay, so let's take a look. Carrie Parsons, mm. how much of our lives in this world do we remember in heaven? Do you want to remember your life in this world or do you not? Some people ask Some that people question. really don't want to. To say, can I finally be free of this memory that seems to be cursing my ability to be happy in the moment and we all have experienced that to some extent intrusive replaying scenes from the past mm -hmm. could be fear or guilt or regret or sadness mm -hmm. whatever it is coming through things that you've cataloged as having had happen but on the flip side we're my wife and i are taking pictures of our daughter all day long because it's so precious like the moments are so awesome and it's absolutely joyful to go back and look at those pictures and remember i forgot when she was one and a half what she looked like this is <laughs> so it could be a little sad to think do you lose all that mm -hmm. you can't take your icloud storage with you so <laughs> so so in the spirit of either one of those or both how much of our lives in this world do we remember in heaven oh and i think that that we'll do the classic formula of Karin first on this one uh because fair is fair and we need the chance to strike back at us so <laughs> Karin, uh what, what do you think all right well i'm gonna refer people to sometime go watch our episode called what will you remember in the afterlife which is a thorough study of what swedenborg says about this but i would summarize it by you will remember whatever would be useful to your happiness and that Swedenborg says that we do not lose anything from our memory, like every speck, even the things we did not notice from our whole life is there in our memory. And anything that would hold us back from, our, from progressing in happiness will can be mercifully put to sleep by the Lord, but it's still there to be called upon if needed. And, you know, one thing I imagine is uh, maybe somebody new comes from earth and somebody maybe hasn't in heaven, hasn't thought about this person for a long time, but instantly they'd get, if they want to go, or, you know, if there was that person desiring to meet them, they would be drawn to that and then instantly remember their whole history together. You know, like it's, it's going to be there in an instant if needed. Um, and, but so things that would not be useful and kind of hold you back, um, will be put to sleep, but anything that is useful to your happiness, like the relationships that you are still in and just the, all the joyful uh, things that built up that relationship and, and all the re reflections you have from things you've learned, um, it's all with you. And so anything that would be useful to your happiness is very active. Swedenborg says angels have perfect memory of everything that would be useful um, because it's all there and the Lord 
provides whatever is needed for, for usefulness. Very awesome. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about memory and there's the things that happened in your life, actually. I'm just talking about physical right now. There's the things that actually happened in your life and then there's your memory, which is not yeah. necessarily any kind thing. of accurate record mm -hmm. of what actually happened in your life. I remember listening to this fascinating podcast years ago that I think I've mentioned on the show before about a group of brothers who one of them was writing a book about memory and they every single event they had different each of them had different memories of also oh there's this, this like um bias on certain events will get played over and over in your mind and there'll be whole swaths you completely forget about so there's you know, what actually happened in your life and what your experience with your memory is mm -hmm. and i think that when that karen is right that everything that's happened in your life and even more so is completely even stuff that could be lost to your physical memory is there in the spiritual memory. What seems to be most closely managed in the spiritual world is your experience with your memory. And what What's coming up when, and Swedenborg will often talk about stuff going dormant, except brought up when it pleases the Lord. So to me, it's the best of both worlds, because anything's there and can be accessed, but it's much better regulated so that you get what's useful, you know, like Carmen was saying, what's useful when it's useful as it's useful. Mm. So the, the, so you're not going to be suffering through from terrible memories for the rest of your life. Uh, yeah. W uh, yeah. Because memories are a big problem for some people. Yeah. yeah. This, this is absolutely how many human lives right now are completely claimed by people unable to escape the past, what they feel like is the past, whether or not that's actually the past. Um, and it's no joke so yeah to, to be able to get out from under that is a huge deal and how how much self-help is there saying just dwell on the past <laughs> you ever have you ever heard that <laughs> it's, it's all about like focus on the now focus on the now mm -hmm. focus on the now because there's times when you can happily reminisce but it's very rare that we are mm. actually doing that focus mm -hmm. on the now and that the angelic state is that you're in the now, but this bizarre thing Swedenborg says that all the past and the future is somehow within that moment. And that to God, all time is simultaneous. <laughs> I think we said that on the show before. Mm. So, <laughs> so you don't got to worry about losing the past, but you don't got to worry about the past losing y you. And hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of one of the uh, more popular topics on our channel has been uh, about life review. Yeah, um, and. I think a lot of people, especially when I'm interacting with people who confess anxieties about a life review and what things will be recalled, um, there's feelings of shame about being guided through those painful things we remember, um, mistakes we've made, wrongs we've done. But just to put yourself in the shoes of the Lord and of angels. I mean, we have a show called Angels Examine You When You Die. Yeah, and it talks about how literally an angel reads your body. Like it, they 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 look through your face, they search your hands, they're examining you in the deepest part of you. So that has to do certainly with your memory, um, and they're there as like kind of like a, a mentor to get you through to the next next stage of your evolution. Yeah, they're not there to condemn you or to judge you. They're simply there as a vessel of the Lord, who is pure love and only desires that you go to heaven and be happy there. Um, and so in so no way is pure love 
and pure wisdom going to have kind of like this game plan of taking your memory and making you feel horrible. Yeah. That is the last, that is impossible. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, Swedenborg talks about you have two memories, an inner and an outer memory, um, but all of that brought out uh, will only serve you as you become a better person if that's where you're heading. So, Think about, you may think, well, I don't want some angels looking at my memories. That would mm-hmm. be embarrassing or, or somehow harmful to me. I don't want God. I don't know what, what God is. But I bet you could pick a person or a couple people that you know and you like in a certain way that you'd like. I would love to get to go through my whole story with these people. Mm-hmm. And just think about what the qualities are in them. Maybe it's because you feel like they're advocates for you or they would see things from your perspective. Or maybe you know that they're compassionate. Whatever it is, go ahead. This is a thought experiment. Who you know? Think about the people mm-hmm. that, that you would most think. I would, if I was going to watch a movie of my life, why it could be better with them and because maybe they would help me understand something I, I feel didn't safe. understand about it yeah, feel, feel safe, safe in some way that, or maybe they would get this thing I never got they could get it so whatever qualities are in there then jack that up times a million because those are these tiny little shadows of what God mm. is God is the in those very specific people that we're talking about right now God is those qualities in them mm. so to think about that it, like the best you know, doctor or whatever you could possibly think of watching that with you, the the, the uh, public defender or lawyer that's with you and completely on your side. That's what we're talking about. That, that you could cobble together a person in your mind who could make watching the story of your life better. Those are the conditions under which I would think we would have it. And to me, I, I would love that. Let, let's just do it. I, let's, let's get, the, I, I don't know, it seems like it'd be a long movie, but it happens fast. Let's do it. Let's get that. Let's get it sorted out and let's get free. So mm-hmm. thanks so much for the question, Carrie. And let's uh, do the next one. Sorry, I'm trying to read this chat in between. Do our, Beagle Mom says, do our loved ones in heaven miss mm-hmm. us? So I don't need to explain that very much. Does anybody have any thoughts on that? If we got these people and they're, they've moved on, are they so engrossed in these kinds of experiences that we've been talking about? And I don't, I, we get this one sometimes. I don't know. If, I mean, Swedenborg, well, he doesn't dwell on stuff like this. You would think he, mm. he would because it's super important emotionally. He is very interested in explaining how everything works and universal principles. You have to kind of sometimes read between lines and, or dig up these little anecdotes. He doesn't have a whole book on people missing each other. He has whole books on how the divine runs the world so that it leads yeah. to salvation in the end. But does anybody have anything that they've picked out uh, from going through Swedenborg particularly that would apply to this question? Um, just right away, it comes to mind the, the concept in Swedenborg that there is no time in the spiritual world. Um, so that though maybe we're missing a spouse that has post, passed over for 20 years, the 20 year part of it is not necessarily how the spouse is experiencing it. Right. Um, maybe the spouse is experiencing that it's an instant until you're joined together, you yeah. know, if you're, um, that's just one yeah one yeah. thought i have okay. about it so mi- missing oh this this is dependent on that you're thinking of them oh it's another day in heaven without 
whoever they left behind yeah. and I miss them. That if it's not experienced in the same way, whether or not they miss us is not the same indicator of whether or not they love us. Mm. Right. right. Okay, Chris? Well, uh, part of the context of that question I could imagine would be, uh, is the relationship over? Is it, you know, if, if, if they don't miss us, that, that's, there's nothing else there for me to have with them. But the reality is uh, that relationships that are connected by affection uh, will go on. There is life after death. And when the time is right, Swedenborg observed countless reunions between loved ones. Yeah. So um, while uh, people are on their own journeys in the afterlife, um, it certainly doesn't mean that that relationship and what it meant to you and what it meant to them is dead. It's probably the very opposite of that. Check out our show, Five Reunions in the Afterlife, for some of those stories. Karin, do you have anything to close? Yeah, I, I definitely resonate with what Kara was saying about time is very different there. And so I feel like it would, for us, there's this long, 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 long years of separation for them. It may just feel like now it's it's time you know like when the time feels right there you are it's it wouldn't be this long stretch and like chris is saying it does not have to do with any lack of love actually swedenborg says what once you cross over to the afterlife you can feel more love in your relationships than you used to so there would be actually um, more love felt from our loved ones for us from the other side um, but i i think they must have more um a little more awareness of their connection with us than we do from this end through the through the thoughts and feelings. That's just my my perception about it. That we can have like I can have some sense of sometimes my dad's or my daughter's presence as I'm uh, enjoying something or remembering something. But I think probably something stronger would be happening on their end that might feel even more satisfying. Just some. Um, uh, communion of hearts in some way. Um, so I think there would be ways that on the other side, it's, it's not so painful the, as it is on this side in this work, in this level of feeling very separate and, and very, uh, limited. Um, and I, but there, there definitely is a desire to be together. I just feel like there's not the same ache. I was just reading a near-death experience story by Mary C. Neal called To Heaven and Back. And she um, was greeted so joyfully by all these um, angelic spirits as she was approaching heaven. But then it became clear to the whole group that it wasn't her time yet. And she had to go back. And they were all very sad. <laughs> you know, like they were, oh, you know, rats. Um, we really wanted you to stay here. And, but but there's so much more um, perception there of like um, that things uh, that she'll be back. <laughs> and um, also the last thing I'll say is, yeah, so I, I don't, again, I don't think the pain is the same as we feel on, on this side. I just think everything's harder on earth <laughs> than it is in the afterlife, way harder. Um, but, oh, oh, the last thing I'll say is, there's also a better sense, like, so if somebody I love is far away, but doing something important, I can, I miss them, but also I'm happy they're there because I know it's important, um, you know, whatever they're needing to learn or go through or whatever. So I also imagine an element of that, that there would be, and we can feel that from this side too. Like I can feel for my daughter, um, like 
I'm so glad she's going through all sorts of amazing stuff. And I, and even though I know it's, doesn't feel so fun down here on earth. We, we are doing important things and going through important things and making an important difference. And there's probably that element too of our loved ones in the afterlife that they're, um, they're aware of how important our lives are here and what an impact that's having on our own growth and on the people around us, the world around us. And that will be there when it's right. And that's all good. <laughs> so maybe instead of they're are they missing us? They're not, they're more rooting for us. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thanks Beagle Mom. It's so great to get that question from you. Let's see what the next one is. So this is going to be from Grass Whistle. Does mental disorders have anything to do with something defective in one's spirituality? What about depression? Does that factor in? So if you've got some kind of mental disorder like depression, does that mean you are? And when he says defective in one's spirituality, that I would read that as like spiritual practice. Like, do you have this? Do you have this depression because you're not doing good enough at spirituality, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I'll start with that one. I don't think so. I think that because I've been diagnosed with depression. So I don't think that it has anything to do with spirituality. Spirituality is a tool that you can try to use to alleviate symptoms. But the physical world is real. Brain chemistry is real. And it's going to be everything has input onto your conscious experience. So depression, even as I understand it, you know, we don't know a lot about what causes it or, or how to deal with it. We think if we put like SSRIs in there, then you'll get a little happier. But we don't know exactly what all that is. So um, I guess I'm just saying there's there's a lot of factors that go into something like that. You could never really say like, oh, your depression is because you're not doing spirituality. If you, I will say this, if you do spirituality right, you will experience depression at times, no matter what. Swedenborg <laughs> talks about these things that are called temptations, which I think are differ from, maybe differ from depression just in the, the duration, but the, the state that when I read about what depression is like, there's a lot of stuff in temptations that seem similar so much that when I was in, when I was having what I would call major depression and that's why I got diagnosed and all this stuff, um, it was so, I was reading a lot of Swedenborg about these temptations and I found like what he was describing was matching my symptoms very closely. Mm. I don't think it was the same thing in that mine just lasted so long and who know, I still don't know to this day. I don't know like what's it, what the temptation was not, but my point is, the only way we progress is through temptation. So what, I, what I'm trying to say in the end is you can't look at am I happy or sad and know if, if that's a bellwether for how good at being spiritual you are because there can be all kinds of physical. Swedenborg does talk about states of mental illness as impairing our ability to regenerate at certain times. So it can't be that if you can just get your spiritual stuff right, you knock out all the mental illness because mental illness can actually make your spiritual development just put it on pause for a little while till we've recovered our rationality or whatever. So there is, so there's that side, but then if you're doing spirituality and progressing naturally, you're going to hit these low points as well. So you can't, you could never say, if you're spiritual, you'll be happy. I often think of, look at the story of Jesus Christ, right? He, he was doing everything perfectly. Was everything going great for him? Like it was one long struggle. So I'm not saying that on the flip side, I, basically I'm not saying anything, but I'm not saying that 
oh good, I'm depressed, I need to stay depressed because it will make me spiritual. I'm just saying the idea that there's something wrong with your practice if you're experiencing symptoms of depression or any other mental illness, I don't think that's true, even though this is something I've had to think about a lot, even though spiritual things like the, the tools in Swedenborg can be very helpful in dealing with that, they're, they're, the tools that currently exist based on Swedenborg and other spiritual things I don't think are nearly strong enough to combat something like full-blown depression. So they can help, but I don't think the state of the art is there. I hope that it gets there someday. Part of why I want to do stuff like we're doing is eventually we are able to build these tools that if, let's say, the missing piece is not understanding the spiritual side of life and how it affects our mental weather, then maybe it, in co combination with the best of the studies of the brain and the body, could lead to something that could cure something like depression. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, spirituality can sometimes help, but rarely, if ever, on its own, can it cure something when there's really a root cause that's psychological or physiological or something mm -hmm. like that. So those are a couple of thoughts that I had on that. Uh, I read it as uh, defective in one spirituality. I thought, like, defective in one spiritual state, like good or evil. Good More moral or moral state. Yeah, yeah, a moral state, yeah. Um, and Swedenborg makes it very clear that we're not allowed to judge anybody's spiritual state, right. no matter what we see on the outside, no matter what we see. So we mm -hmm. can't judge that by illnesses or depression or anything else. Is not That in itself is not some reflection of your spiritual state. Um, yeah. yeah. Rain Lions uh, Zero says there's not one single cause that leads to depression, for sure. That, that mm. was kind of my experience with it, is as a cluster of factors, and the things that helped it were similarly a cluster of antidotes. And the, it was everything from absolutely like hydration and nutrition, nutrition. and medicine, uh, as well as thought um, organization and thought discipline and spirituality but there was a lot of things and it just I just feel like I never found anything that there's some stuff that would sometimes help but nothing that would consistently constantly still I can't get the mind to do what it, it should do even though I'm get have this opportunity to be steeped in Swedenborg all the time it's certainly helping but just to say I'm going to cultivate this field of the mind it's going to behave how I want it to is uh, is very difficult okay Chris <laughs> Uh, I think you guys hit on everything I might even possibly say. Great. So uh, then I'll say Carmela uh, in the chat there says, suffering can be a real gift to help you seek God, truth, love, and compassion, and empathy for others. I would certainly say, in my case, if my mind had been working well, if everything had been going pretty well for me, I don't think I would have dived into the spirituality thing. I think I would have felt like I didn't need it, and I would go pursue yeah. what would make me happy. But when you don't have any other options, you're very interested in spiritual stuff so. mm -hmm. yeah Karen what do you think about all this I think you guys have covered it well I totally agree depression is not a statement on your spiritual state there's so many factors they all have to be addressed um, there's uh, in in addition to physical factors and brain chemistry factors and heredity there's also um, even these spiritual weather patterns that just pass over us all that <laughs> bring waves of depression um, and so, like Curtis said, in it, spiritual tools can really help as one of the things that you can do to help alleviate depression, but it's not depression itself. And, and different people are just hereditarily more prone to it than others. So, yeah, I agree with what you all were saying. And that, um, like Curtis was saying, God, God will bring, can bring good out of everything. And so through that experience, 
God can bring good out of it in, in opening your heart in some way towards others or towards God. Think of how sophisticated our understanding relative to where it used to be of what causes disease in the body has gotten. And think about the, the quantum leap that happened when we understood that there were microorganisms. Before we understood that there were germs and us trying to guess at why you have a fever or something, some of this, you know, Swedenborg's Day stuff is hilarious. Like, there's, it's from the air in the swamps or, or something that would that would make you sick. But to understand, oh, there's this whole world of viruses and bacteria and fungi and whatever else that causes this stuff at the cellular level, and you can really take disease down into that. Think of how much our understanding has of that. And if we didn't have the microorganisms piece. You just would, the thing would never make sense. Never make sense. And I think this is that's that's the potential for the spiritual world that you've got part of what makes the mind. We understand it, but if we don't understand the spiritual stuff that's going on at the same time, which is equivalent to these these microbes, you know, but but the sort of spiritual world we're in, I think it plays the same role in the mind. Then I think we could really start to untangle stuff like like depression. Okay, let's do another one really quick before. Uh, or is that is that the end? That's the, that's what I'm getting just now. That that's, the, that's the last question we have time for this time because we've already gotten ready for the other stuff. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for chatting away in the chat. Thanks for asking the good questions. Uh, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Cara. Thank you, Karen, wherever you are. Good to be here. Love to you all out there. Absolutely. Thanks to you for liking and subscribing at home. You're certainly welcome to do that here at the end. And we are going to be bringing you quite a lot of stuff. We're not going anywhere. We are serious about bringing you this material, and this is how we're going to do it this week. Uh, News from Heaven is going to be coming up on Thursday and Saturday. Thursday, do delusions do something strange to your aura. We're going to explore that and how that, believe it or not, can help you with your day-to-day. Saturday, your outer self needs to obey your inner self and just how that can be a key mm-hmm. to getting this 